Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, guest speaker Milan Turner continues the series entitled Sweet Spot. In this message, he looks at what it means to be in the light. Listen as Milan examines 1 John and explains how we can be the light, know our enemy, and continue to stay in the light in a dark world. Well, good morning to all five of you. Y'all awake? I hope so. All right. It's uh, such a, a, a blessing and such a privilege to be here this morning. And uh, before I even get into the Word and, and, and begin to speak, a couple of things. One, uh, I want to thank Brandon. Thank you so much for, for asking me to come and, and be back. But I want to tell you and Susan how much uh, I and my family love both of you. Um, you know, in ministry, you, there's so many things going on, so many people that you try to touch, so many folks you try to reach. And, and often you don't hear, uh, they get the pat on the back, and you don't hear the stories. But I want to tell you how much you, your family, and this church were such an integral part of God's miracle over two years ago, saving a marriage and saving a family. We'll always be thankful for that, for your, both of your love and, and, and your care for us. And we love you guys very much. And we want to come back sometimes, so don't forget about us, okay? And I uh, want to thank you guys for that, the church here at Connection. What a, it's amazing to think just over, what, a little over two years ago, we were meeting in, that, in a little room with about, what, 40 or 50, and then it's just incredible. Such a God thing. I also want to thank one other person, uh, Coach Kenny Tucker. He didn't even know I was going to say anything about him this morning. Uh, over probably 20-something years ago, 20 years ago, uh, Coach Tucker, I did student teaching under him. And, and I want to thank Coach Tucker, first of all, for showing a, a young, uh, green uh, coach, teacher out of college what it meant to, to be a, not just a great coach and a teacher, but to really love kids and care about kids and do things the right way. But I also want to encourage Kenny and tell him how much I love him, and I'm thankful for you, not just as a friend, but as a brother. And thank you for your testimony as you've walked with the Lord through the storm. And I'm so proud of you and so thankful to have you in my life. We're talking about the sweet spot today. And uh, I know that that's been a series. I've got a, a quote up here that I, I want you to look at as we begin. And I think they're going to flash it up there. Do we have that quote up there, John? No. We don't? Okay. <laughs> We're not going to flash a quote up there for you. But I have a quote I want you to, and I want you to listen to this as, as we begin what we're going to talk about. I'm going to talk to you about the sweet spot, living in the light. Living in the light. Listen to this quote. It said, I saw as in a flash that the religion of Christ ought to be and was meant to be to its possessors, not something to make them miserable, but something to make them happy, full of his hope and joy. That's an excerpt written by Hannah Whitehall Smith. She wrote a book in 1870. It was called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. The Christian life, not something to make us miserable, but rather something to make us happy full of his hope, and full of his joy. How many of you have ever gone to bed after a long, hard day's work? Maybe it was even after a long, hot day. I mean, you were absolutely exhausted. How many of you have gone to bed after that long day, and you just couldn't wait to get into bed? Anybody ever felt like that? You just couldn't just, okay, a few of us, yeah, okay. You couldn't wait to go to sleep. You couldn't wait to rest. You were tired and you were weary. How awesome was that sensation of just laying in the bed, relaxing every muscle, in total confidence in that bed, total comfort, and just going to sleep. Wasn't that good? How many of you, it was awesome, right? It felt good, didn't it? Some of you are doing that now, aren't you? You're getting relaxed and comfortable. Don't go to sleep on me. But yeah, it felt great. You totally trusted. Hey, the strain of the day had ceased. The work of the day was done. And you no longer had to hold up an aching head and a weary back. You trusted yourself to that bed in absolute confidence that it would hold you up. You trusted that it would happen without effort and without strain or even without thought. You rested. You had confidence that you were going to rest in that bed. You laid down and you slept and you rested. Now, suppose you didn't trust the bed. Suppose you had doubted the strength and the stability of the bed. Suppose you spent the whole night, every moment of the night, worrying and dreading that this bed might collapse, that it might give way and crash to the floor. Could you have rested? 
Absolutely not. You'd have been better off not to even go to bed at all. Worried to death that it might not hold you up. I believe there are too many people and far too many believers that live in dread and weariness of life. They live without rest. I believe that the Lord wants us to come into a personal relationship with Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, that we might fellowship daily with Him and that our souls might rest upon His sweet will, relaxing every strain and laying off every burden. Since He holds you up, you're perfectly safe. Our part is simple. Just trust Him. Trust Him with your life. Trust Him with everything you have. Abandon yourself unto Christ. His part is to sustain you, and he cannot fail. Amen? His part is just to sustain us, and he cannot fail. Our text today is going to be 1 John. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I believe the Apostle John outlines, or outlines three very key parts here. Some very, very important stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, I took over at Thompson High School back in February, and uh, we've been up there ministering the gospel every day. We preach the word. We share scripture, and we pray with those kids endlessly. Every single day, those kids get the word, and they get prayer. And I can tell you this. God has blessed. God's been faithful. We've had over 40 kids come to Christ, and we've given out two cases of Bible since February. Amen? Amen? We're excited about what God's doing, and I want, to, I want to ask you to please continue to pray for me. Pray for our coaches. Uh, a lot of great things coming up. We're coming to Georgia Southern in July for FCA team camp uh, where they'll have football during the day, and then at night they'll have devotions every night with them. I'm really believing that we'll see a lot of salvations there. The first week of August, July 31st to August 4th, pray for us. We're taking them off for team camp, and yeah, they've got a chapel. We're going to a, a, a way off in the woods but there is a chapel there, and every night we'll take them in there, and, and we're going to continue to preach the gospel to these kids. And, and uh, God has allowed, uh, allowed me to use football as a platform uh, to share the love of Christ with those young people. And so I pray that you'll lift us up in your prayers in the days ahead. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to read verses 5 through 10. This will be our main text, and then there will be some other scripture I'm going to share with you. The sweet spot walking in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. It says this, this is the message which we have heard from him, being Jesus, and declare to you that God is light. Say that with me. God is light. Say it again. God is light. And it says, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice what? The truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Three key things we're going to talk about. The first thing we're going to talk about this morning is the foundation, which is the message of Christ. In a nutshell, it's this, that apart from Christ, you and I are in darkness and we're lost. He is the source and the beginning and the end of everything and all that is real and that is true. Amen? And apart from Christ, we're in darkness. We're lost. Then we're going to talk about the application, which is walking in the light. Maybe that's terminology you've heard before. We're going to talk about what that really means and the importance of walking in the light. And the third thing we're going to talk about is the clarification. Christ's conquer of sin and his cleansing of sin. The fact that the spirit-filled, abundant life is made possible in Christ alone. Let me illustrate the importance of light spiritually. I'm going to use an illustration that I want you to kind of get. If you would, close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Now imagine that there are two objects that are coming towards you. It's dark. You can't see. If you would, reach out with your right hand, please. The object coming towards your right hand is warm. Soft and fuzzy. Put your right hand down. Reach out with your left hand, please. The object coming towards your left hand is cold, sharp, and hard. You can put your hand down. Now open your eyes. The object that was coming towards your right hand, the soft, the warm, fuzzy, 
was a fuzzy, furry, man-eating monster. The object that was coming towards your left hand was a sharp sword that was provided for you to conquer the monster that sought to kill you. That's the importance of the light. Most people would have migrated towards which object? The warm, the soft, and the fuzzy. Because why? Because their eyes were closed and they didn't know what it was. They would have completely missed out on the fact that it was something that was coming to destroy them. And the very thing that they repelled because they could not see with spiritual eyes was the one thing that was provided to give them the victory over that which sought to destroy them. The importance of the light. The foundation, the message of Christ. 1 John 1, 5, John makes two distinct characterizations of God. Listen, he said, this is the message which, we, which you have heard from him and declare to you that God is what? Light and in him is no darkness. Two distinct characterizations. Here they are. Here's the first thing. John says that he is light. As light, God reveals himself in his perfect holiness and majesty. How? Through his Holy Spirit. And to whom does God reveal himself? We'll talk about that later in verse 7. The second distinction that he makes is that in him is no darkness at all. So we know that God is light, and we know that in him is no darkness. John refers to the words of Jesus from John eight twelve. Listen, listen to what Jesus said. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So again, we see that outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, based on faith in him alone, we're in darkness, and therefore, we're lost. So what is the purpose of the light? Well, here's the first purpose of the light. The light dispels darkness. John 1.5 says this, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. If we came into this room, as we are now, we have light. Turn the lights off, it's completely dark. As soon as the light switch goes back on, light comes on, what does darkness do? It flees. It's gone. And so Jesus said that. He said, I'm the light of the world. And he said, the light shines in darkness, the darkness does not comprehend it. So if the light dispels darkness, what does that mean? Well, the light helps us to avoid danger. Let me give you an example. I like to hunt. And I was going hunting uh, one morning, left early, wanted to make sure I got in my deer stand, ready to hunt. And I had plenty of time before daylight came. I got about halfway there. The place I was going to hunt was it's a farm that my father-in-law's got. It's got a swamp, and I love hunting down in the swamp. Well, I got almost to the swamp, and I realized I didn't have my flashlight. But being the great hunter that I am, I said, I don't need a flashlight. I can handle this. That's a joke. So I get there. I get out of my truck, and I head to the swamp. Now, outside of the swamp, you've got a little bit of moonlight. It's not as bad. But when you get to the swamp down in the woods, you can't see anything. So I'm walking through there. I'm tripping over logs, and I'm tripping over stumps. And I fall in the creek. I get soaking wet. I come out of the creek, and then I spend about 30 minutes wandering around looking for my tree stand. Can't find it. It's pitch black dark. I'm looking. I'm looking. Guess what I had to wait for? Daylight. I had to wait until some light came up. And guess what? When I just leaned up against a tree and waited. I was mad, soaking wet, mad. I had forgotten the flashlight. Well, the light comes up, and guess what? I'm leaning against a tree. The tree right beside me, there was my deer stand. I mean, I was that close. But you see, there was all kind of things that got me. There were some things in that swamp that could have gotten me. Water moccasins, who knows what. But I did fall over stumps and, and roots, and I did fall in the creek. If I'd had the flashlight, it would have shown the danger. I could have seen every stump, every root. I could have missed falling in the creek, and I would have found my stand. So the light helps us to avoid danger. What does that mean? Listen to me. Listen closely. So much of our world seems dark and dangerous. We have failing marriages. We have poor parenting in our homes. We have financial fallout that's hurting everyone corrupt politics, people looking for their identity and their worth in the wrong places, looking for security in the wrong places, so much danger. And what I want you to understand this morning is that we were not created to do life alone. We don't have to fear the dark things of this world. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what? But of power and of love 
and of a sound mind. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else out of that but this, you were not created to do life on your own. And you don't have to live life in fear of the dark things that come your way. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So the light dispels darkness. Well, here's another thing the light does. The light helps us to reach what it is we're looking for. The light helps you get to your goals. Had I had a flashlight, I would have gotten right to my deer stand. When the sun came up and light shined in, there it was. Christ offers us great hope to every believer who will what? Who will abandon the darkness of this world for the light of his. Our great joy and hope comes from knowing that his light is not only greater than the darkness, but that it will outlast the darkness. 1 John 4 says this, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He's defeated Satan. He's conquered sin and death. Here's the next thing I want you to understand. Not only does it dispel the darkness, not only does it show the dangers, not only does it help us to reach the place that God wants us to go, but here's another thing I want you to understand. In God's light, there are no hidden agendas and no small print. Remember in verse 5, it said that in him is no darkness at all. If you choose to follow Christ and you and I will draw near to him, not only do we find that he's real, that he's all truth, here's the thing you won't find. You won't find any dark foreboding truths. You'll find freedom, hope, and joy. Let me illustrate it for you. Dylan just, my son Dylan just graduated. He's headed off to college. And he needed a laptop. So we began to look for laptops. And we saw all these specials at Dell. Laptop computer, $4.99. We were like, man, that is awesome. We're going to get that. When he said, yeah, we get it. Go call them up. Let's get it. So we call them up. I said, I want the special, a $4.99. Oh, okay, that's great. And I said, well, and, and I said, well let me ask you a few questions. I said, you know, does, does that, it's got Word and Excel? No, yeah, that's extra. You got to buy that. That's $120. So you're going to give me a computer and I can't even do anything with it? So I had to add $120. So I said, well, what about a warranty? No, you can buy a warranty. I said, so like if he drops it or gets mad and throws it out of his dorm window or whatever, oh, yeah, you can buy a warranty. That's another $100. Oh, okay. So I continued on down the list. What about virus protection? Does it have it? No, you got to buy that. By the time I finished this computer, it was $800. All the little hidden agenda, all the, the, the fine print, the things that we find in life, and we see that so often. Can I tell you this morning that that's not the case with God? Can I tell you this morning that if you'll abandon the things of this world and come to Christ, can I just tell you you won't be disappointed? Can I tell you you'll never come to Christ and realize that there was something he couldn't handle? You'll never come to Christ and realize that he wasn't sufficient, that you'll need some other things as well. Can I get an amen on that? He's all sufficient. Amen? You'll never be disappointed. You'll never come to a true personal relationship with Jesus Christ and think that you've made a mistake and think there might be something else better. It'll never happen. There are absolutely no regrets for those of us who come to God with all of their hearts. He is the light. He is the pathway to perfect and eternal joy without any disappointment in him whatsoever. He is the pathway. There are no regrets. Listen to this. Darkness is the threat of despair and misery. Darkness is the threat of despair and misery. Have you ever known that? Have you ever been in a dark place? Have you ever known despair and misery, true heartache and pain? Light is the promise of joy and hope. Light is the promise of joy and hope. Here's the second thing that John points out here, the application. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. We see the message, God is light. So what's the application, coach? What does that mean? Well, here it is. It's the difference between walking in darkness and walking in the light. 1 John 1, 6 and 7. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's the great question. Here's what everybody wants to know. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Verse 6, what does that mean? 
Well, I'm going to share with you what it means. And the first thing that I'm going to tackle this morning is probably the most important thing. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. If you don't hear anything else that I talk about this morning, please, please, if you're asleep, wake up and please hear this this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. Walking in darkness. Here's the biggest issue that darkness covers. The biggest thing that we've got to cross, the biggest thing that we've got to tackle this morning is this simple fact right here. What it means to walk in the darkness, first of all, is to be lost. Let's go ahead and talk about that, what it means to be lost. And Jesus gives a great parable that I think is very important, especially in our time and age. Listen to what he says. Verse 24, and another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy, who's the enemy? You better know your enemy, amen? If you're going to fight this fight in this world, you better know who your enemy is. As a football coach, I better know who I'm about to play Friday night so I can get ready to whoop them, right? You better know who your enemy is, Satan. While men, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed what? Tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest... I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. What does it mean to walk in darkness? First of all, to be lost is to be in the darkness. You are blind to the things of God. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A tear is someone who is lost. I want to tell you this morning that we've got churches that are full of, listen to me now, We've got churches that are full of Sunday school teachers and church leaders and deacons and, 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 and church leaders' wives. And we've got pastors that are pastoring churches, I want to tell you this morning, that are lost. We've got churches full of a lot of folks that show up on Sunday morning and they're lost. Evangelist Billy Graham said this. He said that he believes over 60% of churchgoers were lost. Remember this. It's in the power of the message, not the messenger. Satan could come on this stage and quote John 3.16 and somebody can come to Christ. Amen? Because the power is not in who's speaking. I'm powerless. But it's the word through the power of the Holy Spirit that speaks to a heart of a man or a woman or child and draws them unto Christ. It's the word. It's the power of the word. The message. One of our greatest mission fields is the church. A blind and deceived church. Now, I want you to understand something this morning that I think John's trying to make very clear. There's a difference between spiritual conversion and moral compass. And I want to tell you why I think there's a lot of people sitting in churches that are lost, even people that are serving. Let me tell you what a tear is first. A tear is a lost church member that looks exactly like a Christian. They come to church every Sunday. They give on the tithe. They say all the right things. They give an appearance of being saved, but they're lost. They've never truly come to a place where they recognize their sin nature, their sin within them, and they need a Savior, and they profess Christ. The Bible says, if you'll confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall, you shall be saved. A tear. There's a difference between spiritual conversion and moral compass. Let me tell you what that means. I think there's a lot of people sitting in churches that have, been, have gone to church maybe raised in church, know about church. They've got some head knowledge of Jesus Christ. And along with it, they've got some sort of natural moral compass. Everyone has it. And every time that, that you sin and you do evil things, I believe that moral compass, if you're lost or saved, the moral compass just gets pushed further and further over. That's why you can have some what we think are good people, but they're still lost and go to hell. Good people will go to hell if they don't have Christ. Amen? Good doesn't get you into heaven. The Bible says not by works, lest any man boast. You can't stack up enough chips. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. 
But you've got people out there who, who have a moral compass and they have some head knowledge of Christ and so they think they're okay. I don't do this, this, and this. They're comparing themselves with the wrong person. They're comparing themselves with others instead of what? Comparing themselves to the standard, which is Jesus Christ. There's a difference between coming to Jesus, recognizing that you are lost in need of a Savior, that without Christ you're headed for a real place called hell. There's a difference between that and just thinking that you're doing the right thing by coming to church, being part of a church, and you've got some sort of moral compass that you don't do so much of the bad stuff, maybe just a little, and therefore you're okay. Those are the tares. Let me tell you something about a tear. It looks exactly like the wheat. And the farmer said, he told the workers, they said this. They said, hey, you want us to go out there and get the tares? He said, no, because if you go out there and try to get the tares, you're bound to pull up the good wheat too. You know why? He said, you can't tell the difference between the wheat and the tare. Let me tell you something this morning. The person you're sitting next to, it may be your husband. You don't know if your husband's saved. Husband, you don't know that your wife's saved. Let me tell you, you don't know that I'm saved. You can't know. Only God knows. You know where they find out the difference between a wheat and a tear? When it's time for harvest, you pop the kernel. You pop the wheat open. If it has a kernel inside, it's wheat. If it's empty, it's a tear. It's the only way to know. You can't know what's inside of me. Only God does. I can't know what's inside of you. One of my favorite preachers talked about uh, this very thing one time. And he said he was, he was speaking at a church three or four nights. He was doing a revival. And he said every night at the altar call, he kept noticing a, a, a church leader. He knew the guy was a leader in the church, a, a guy that was well-respected, him and his wife both. They taught Sunday school, did Bible studies, the whole thing. He kept noticing the woman at, during the altar call was trying to come out of the aisle, and the husband kept holding her back, holding her back, night after night. Finally, on the last night, he gave an altar call. She ripped away from the husband. She comes to the altar, and he follows her down here right behind her. And lo and behold, that very night, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And guess what? So did he. He said, Pastor, he told uh, this pastor, he said, Pastor, he said, do you know that I almost kept my wife from going to heaven? I almost pushed my wife to hell. He said, I looked at her that first night and that second night, and I said, Honey, if anybody's saved, you're saved. But you know what? She knew in her heart that she wasn't saved. They had been in church, they had tithed, they had done all the things, every appearance of being a Christian. But neither of them had truly abandoned themselves to Christ. Neither of them had purposed in their hearts that they were sinners and they were in need of a Savior and completely given their lives to Christ. They were going through all the motions, but Jesus was not in their hearts. They were tares. So what is the darkness? First of all, it's a tear. It's someone who gives an appearance of a Christian, someone who may think they're saved. Do you know that Jesus said in his word, I, I teach you these things that you what? That you might know that you're saved. Can I tell you this morning, do not leave this building today with any question in your mind or in your heart as to whether you're truly saved or not. He is the light. He is the answer to everything in your life. He loves you more than you can imagine. Whether you're 12 or whether you're 90, don't leave this building today without knowing for certain that you're saved. What else is walking in the darkness? Well, John illustrates this. He says, anyone who has hate or bitterness in their heart. Because he says, if you hate your brother, the love of the Father can't be in you. Why? Because God is love, and God's love is unconditional. And so he says, hey, if you've got hate or bitterness, if you don't have love for your brother then you are far from God. Matthew 6.15 says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let me ask you this question this morning. What hurts or pains are you holding on to that are keeping you from walking in the freedom of God's light? Is there bitterness? Is there pain? Is there something? And, and listen to me. This, you're not meant to take the pains and the hurts of your life and just put them in a closet. You're not meant to sweep them under a rug because I can tell you what happens. They surface again. Some of you know from experience, don't you? You're not meant to just hold on to it. You're not meant to carry it. Let me give you an illustration of that. There's, an, there's a story about a man who's walking down a road, and he's got this heavy load on his shoulders. And a, and a person pulls up in a wagon beside him and says, Hey, let me give you a ride. Let me help you out. 
Well, he agrees to, to accept this, this ride, and he gets up into the wagon, but he keeps the load on his back, on his shoulders. And the person driving the wagon looks over and says, Hey, why don't you put your load in the back of the wagon? And he says, Oh, no, I couldn't ask that. It's enough that you're giving me a ride. I couldn't ask you to carry my burden, too. I believe that's how so many Christians are, with hurts and pains and worries and despair. God is saying, give me all that junk. I want to make a trade. You give me your junk, your mess, your burdens, your pain, your sorrows, the deepest hurts that you have, the greatest losses and the greatest pains. He's saying, give those to me. I will take that. And in exchange for that, I'll give you my peace and my joy and my freedom. What an exchange, amen? Bitterness, despair, hurts, and pains. Those things will cause us to walk in darkness, to miss out on walking in the light, the true freedom that is offered through Christ Jesus. Here's the next thing that causes us to walk in darkness. John talks about being controlled by the desires of this world instead of desires for God. Look at 1 John chapter 2. Just flip the page. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17. Look what John says here. Walking in darkness, verses 15 through 17. It says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, listen, but he who does the will of God abides what? Forever. Say forever. Say forever. He who does the will of God abides forever. How many of us are choosing the world and its desires over God's way? Let me tell you what that's like. For those of us who walk through life and every day we're making choices of the things of the world versus the desires of God, it's like choosing gravel over diamonds. Ladies, how many of you want a gravel ring? Any of you? No. But that's what we do. When you make a decision to partake of the things of the world, you let those desires outweigh the desires of God and his purpose for your life. It's like choosing gravel over diamonds. Listen to what John 3.19 says. It says, The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Hey, how many, how many people run to church on Sunday after living like, like, like the devil all week, and they just want that fixed? If I can just get a little worship, if I can just get a little word, everything will be okay, and that will get me through the week. When you and I walk in darkness, we're controlled by the desires for that soft, warm underbelly that we talked about. That warm, soft underbelly of prestige and power and two-second pleasures. True peace and joy comes when we see the things the way God sees them. And when we have the same desires that God has, that's walking in his light. How many believers are simply giving lip service to their faith. Here's another thing that John talks about that, that causes us to walk in the darkness. Following false dark doctrine. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Following false doctrine or teachings. It says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, and he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. A a great example of that, I don't know if any of you are familiar with a a pastor in Michigan of a megachurch named Rob Bell. Rob Bell uh, pastors a huge church in Michigan, and for a long time in the Southern Baptist denomination was a a huge uh, part of their teaching and wrote several books that a lot of churches around the United States used. But you know what? Over time, uh, and he's a very good speaker, very intelligent, very well-spoken, but over time, he began to get involved in false doctrine to the point that the book he just wrote this past year, and I can't remember the title of it. I don't know if you've heard of it, Brandon. What is it? Yeah, Love Wins. Basically, he has, he has taken on universalism. In other words, he's going around saying, hey, everyone ends up in heaven. It's all good. Just do your thing. God loves us so much that we all end up in heaven. Let me tell you something. God does love you. And I want to tell you a second thing. God has never sent one person to hell. Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. God has never sent anyone to hell. Someone goes to hell because they choose to reject Jesus Christ. 
Jesus offers life. You and I have free will. God's given it to you. You have the very freedom to say yes to Jesus or no. If you choose to say no, you've said yes to a pathway to a real place called hell. Rob Bell's teaching, hey, everybody go. It's all good. Do what you want. Universalism. It's false teaching. And you'd be amazed at how many believers, because either they don't really know Jesus Christ, A, or B, they don't know the Word, they don't read the Word, they don't pray, they have no real knowledge of Jesus Christ, they'll fall just by the whim. Whatever teaching's out there, they go for it. Because they don't know the Word. Or possibly because they don't know Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to walk in the light? 1 John 4, 7 teaches us that. 1 John 4, 7, listen to what, excuse me, verse 7, one, one, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What does it mean to walk in the light? Let me give you some things. It means seeing reality for what it is and being controlled by God's desires. How many of us this morning in this building are actually being controlled by God's desires for your life? And how many of us in here this morning are being controlled by our own desires? In other words, is, is every day of my life just about what I want, what I want to do, and where I want to go, and how I want to live? Or am I being controlled by God's desire for my life? Here's the biggest, here's what it comes down to. Do you trust him? You know why a lot of people don't live according to God's desires? Because they just don't trust him. For some reason, they're, they're blinded. There's darkness. They question, is God's will, is his perfect will, is it really good for me? Absolutely. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Amen? The Bible says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them who love him. God's desire for you, God's will, God's plan is absolutely perfect, but you have to trust. There's a faith factor involved. God is light is the fulfillment of all our deepest longings. He is the deliverer from all dark dangers and obstacles to joy. He is the star of glory that we were made to admire and cherish. If God would just open the hearts, the eyes of our hearts to see all of that, then our desires are captured by his surpassing glory over everything that the world has to offer. And we walk in the light as he is the light. Listen, lying, cheating, drinking, partying, immoral sex, stealing, smoking, material possessions, none of it compares to what God has to offer you and I. Amen? None of it compares. I want to tell you this morning, there's a walk, there's a lifestyle that absolutely results from the miracle of a new birth when you and I are given eyes to see the surpassing worth of the light of God. Remember the tear, didn't know Christ, looked just like a Christian. I'm talking about a walk. I'm talking about a lifestyle. I'm talking about a miraculous new birth that happens in a human being through the power of the Holy Spirit, whereby that person's eyes are open to the things of God, and they see his, his worth. They see his glory. They see just how awesome the creator of the universe is that loves you and I. There are three resulting factors of walking in the light. One is genuine fellowship with God, the creator of all that exists. Now, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want genuine fellowship with God, the creator of all the universe? The second thing that results from walking in the light is that we have a love for others. And listen, not just the people that you like, not just the people that are easy to love. God's love, remember, is unconditional. How many of us have a love for the lost? How many of us in this room are passionate about the lost and winning souls for Jesus Christ? That's not a job of a pastor. It's not just the job of the evangelism person or the Sunday school person. No. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've had a new birth, a miraculous new birth, and you know what you realize? You realize that the power of God came in your life, took away the desires for drugs and alcohol or whatever it is, and gave you the desires of God. And you realize what it is you were saved from, a real place called hell, and you realize what great hope you have in eternity with Jesus Christ. And if you know that, you'll get so excited about what Jesus Christ has done for you that you can't help but tell everybody else about it. Amen? All right, four of you are excited about that. If you know Jesus, you ought to be excited. Yes! You ought to be excited. Hey, hey, I've seen some of you folks get more excited at a Georgia Southern football game 
Hey, let me see one time. How excited are you about Jesus Christ? Let me hear it. How excited? Come on. Come on. Come on. There we go. Hey, touchdown. Touchdown. Let's go. Come on. Where are you at? Let's go. Amen. Coach Tucker, there's about 45 folks I want moving to Thompson to come to me on Friday nights. I want them cheering for my team. Amen. I like that. We ought to be excited. We ought to be excited. If you really know Jesus Christ, there ought to be a burning passion in your heart. Whatever it is you do, on your workplace, in your home, sharing Christ with your children, sharing it in your home, setting an example, at work, telling people, hey, let me just tell you how awesome God is. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Learn the word, remember scripture. But listen to me. You don't have to quote somebody 800 scriptures. Just brag on Jesus. Just tell them what it is that Christ has done for you. Walking in the light. A third thing that walking in the light does is it daily cleanses us from sin. Daily cleanses us from sin. The word says that for those of us that walk in the light, that we are cleansed by his blood. Here's the third thing I want to share with you, and I'm going to close. We talked about... The application, now I want to talk to you about clarification. Brokenness of a true believer. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, listen to what it says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, John clarifies two errors of thought, and I think this is very important before we close. Two errors of thought that blind, hinder, and cause great strife in the life of many believers. Here's the first error of thought. It's the thought that your conduct after conversion has nothing to do with your salvation. That thought is erroneous. We saw in verses 6 and 7 that we cannot have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. You say, well, well, coach, what do you mean? Well, turn over to 1 John chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to explain it to you. 1 John 3, verses 6 through 9. It says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. On the cross, Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. Amen? That was why he was sent. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, let me clarify that. John is not preaching perfectionism, otherwise he would have contradicted himself. You have to read that scripture in context. In Greek context. And here's what it means. It doesn't mean that after conversion, okay, it doesn't mean that you are perfect. Here's what it means. He's preaching that a constant indulgence in sin contradicts the claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, there's a difference between spiritual conversion and moral compass. Crazy thing is, too many professing believers want to know how much hell they can enjoy before they get to heaven. And John is saying, listen, it's not perfection. There's only been one perfect, Jesus Christ. Now, you ought to have a desire in your heart to follow his standard, follow his example, and to walk in the light free of sin. Amen? But what he's saying is, don't walk in an indulgence of sin. Don't be that person that goes out there and does everything, you know, through the week. You can't go out there and live in sin all week and live in that indulgence and then come to church on Sunday and put on the face and put on the look and think you're okay because you're not. The the Spirit of God, the creator of this universe, does not come to live inside a person so that they can commit all the sin they want and then just go get it fixed on Sunday. That's what John is preaching. So don't think that your conduct after conversion has no effect or anything to do with salvation because it does. Remember this, you're not saved by works, but if you're saved, there ought to be works. Amen? You're not saved by works, but if you're saved, there ought to be works. In other words, if I'm saved, if I love Jesus, I ought to be excited about Jesus, I ought to be sharing Jesus. And whether I'm in the house, 
whether I'm at work, wherever I am, it ought to show in my life. I'm not perfect. John knew that. That's why Jesus came. He knew we'd sin, but ought not to sin. Ought to try not to sin. Only through the power of Jesus Christ can I do that. Can I tell you this morning that you and I don't have the ability to live the Christian life? You can't do it. I can't do it. That's why Jesus came. You know what it takes to live the Christian life? It means you and I completely surrendering ourselves to Christ so that he can live it through us. He is the only one that was perfect. He is the only one that can live the Christian life. Can I tell you this? And I think this really wraps that thought up. I just heard this the other night. Religion is hanging around the cross. Christianity is getting on the cross. Can I get an amen? Religion is hanging around the cross. Christianity is getting on the cross. Dying to yourself. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. Amen? The life that I now live, right? I live in the flesh. Why? How? By the power of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live in the flesh. But the life that I now live, I live how? By the power of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I can't live it. I have to live it through Christ living through me. Amen? Now listen, John is not preaching perfectionism. But there's also another thing we need to understand. Our faith in Christ is evidenced by our works. The thought that your conduct, here's the second thought. The thought that your conduct after conversion must be perfect. That's perfectionism. It leads to guilt. You and I don't have the power or the ability to live out the Christian life. It's made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in closing, I want to share this scripture with you. If you would, turn with me to Romans. Two verses and we're going to close. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verses 11 and 12. It says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Now understand this, Christ is our example and our heart's desire should be to follow him. But our battle with sin lasts a lifetime. Satan loves to defeat the Christian with guilt or a sense of inadequacy because he or she feels as if they're failing to live the Christian life while all the time they've been attempting to live it under their own power rather than relinquishing their whole life to Christ and resting in him. Satan beats believers up all the time. That's why there's the dread and the strain and tired and worn out. Because why? Because too many people are trying to do it on their own. They're wishy-washy. They're back and forth. Oh, wait, I got to live for God. Oh, my gosh, this really looks good over here. Oh, wait, I got to live for God. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is dying to yourself, climbing on the cross, trusting him with your life, completely giving yourself to Christ that he might live in you, that he becomes a part of everything you do, that he's a part of every thought and decision how you are on the job, how you are as a husband, a wife, a parent, that that the Holy Spirit is there and that he's leading and guiding in all the things that you do, that he's helping you to recognize an opportunity to share the gospel, to show the love of Christ, to do ministry in the short time that we have. And lastly, Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Christ has made us free. He's not only cleansed us of sin, he has conquered sin. That's why you and I, if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, get to enter into a great place called heaven. There's a video that I want you to watch here in closing, and I think it kind of sums up what we've talked about. And I want you to watch this, and we'll close The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He 
merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. Everybody, if you would, please stand.